Hello, church family. Well, as usual, a new week just means a new chapter through the Bible. And if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Exodus. And this week we're going through Exodus chapter 2. I wonder if you've ever thought about some of the difficulties that you've gone through or just life experiences where you plan something for a very long time and then things just go horribly wrong. I know for some of you, that's just, that's just called the year 2020. Everything that you planned uh, last year went horribly wrong. And, um, but we have to understand that in the light, uh, with perspective and, and you know, just the passing of time, we tend to understand a little bit more about how even though a year has, last year in particular, it just kind of came and went. And however the Lord uses that situation this year, it's, it has yet to be seen. But there are some things that we can be thankful for, uh, that we even in light of what's going on, we see God's goodness in our life. And I think the most obvious one is that it, it definitely refined our faith. Um, for those that of you who are you know struggling in life, uh, this is really a, a true testing period to see if you do have faith in the Lord and do you trust Him. Um, or, or you still want to be obedient to him when things don't go your way. And, uh, and I think as we go into Exodus chapter 2, we have to remember that there, that we need, we need to have perspective in life. God, We know that God uses every circumstance, and oftentimes we will never be aware of why or how or when it happens. Um, but God uses everything, and having perspective will give us a steadfastness in this life, um, that we will continue to... Uh, love him and be faithful to him no matter how strange things are and that's how i think exodus chapter 2 starts and goes and really leads us throughout this entire um book as we know in exodus chapter 1 the pharaoh at the time wanted all the jewish boys to be killed um and mainly just so they could kill the the jewish line or he does different ways uh from the lesser to the greater he starts he first begins by giving them uh, hard labor and then he begins to tell them that they need to uh basically just kill infanticide all the boys and we know that some of the midwives there hid some of the of the babies and i think it's safe to say that not all of the babies were saved, but at least in one in particular case, um, or some of them at least were saved. Not all of them. I'm sure some of the ki- some of them did lose their kids because it said that there is a, a, a great weeping in uh, I think somewhere in uh, we're no towards the end of verse one we see that they're that uh, the you know th- these kids were born uh, were killed and I think if you watch that film Prince of Egypt it has that and I think even in historical records we see that there were um, there was these, you know, papyri- or not, uh, hieroglyphics of, of, of this incident. Uh, so again, it kind of shows you that God is sovereign over history and that it's not just something that people made up, but this, all this stuff actually happened. Uh, so when we get to chapter 2, it speaks of this very particular and unique child, and that we know that as Moses. Moses is actually the one who wrote this book, as well as the, you know, the first five books in the Bible. And he writes this uh, to... You know, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to inform the Israelites where they're from, but also his role in all of this. Remember, Moses was the leader at the time, and when the people read this, it was supposed to make them remember the fact that, like, um, you know, Moses was their leader, and you know, this is before that transition between Moses and Joshua. So Moses is not writing this to kind of beef up his uh, his uh, 
you know, his integrity or, or make people follow him. He's reaching the end and he's writing these things so that people will know um, his origins and more, more importantly, God's faithfulness. So let's look at it. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. So this is, right off the bat, this is significant because it shows you that Moses and his brothers are from the priestly line. Um, in, in Numbers later on, people would be grumbling and complaining and wondering why is Moses in charge and why is Aaron in charge? Why is it all that? And it's to show them that, like, no, like, they were... In, they are in charge because God wants them to be in charge. This is God's plan. He says that they, they're from the tribe of Levi, and uh, this is this is good. what's going to, uh, this is going to eventually, if you go through the book of Leviticus, uh, these are the people that are going to be masters of that, and they're going to be the, the, the mediator between God and man. They're going to be teachers of God's word. They're going to lead the people spiritually. And Moses is saying that he is from this line, uh, and even uh, Aaron, in particular, his brother, is uh, is important. Uh, for, to this narrative, although we don't see him, it's important later on uh, when we go through the Torah. Verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no more, no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Uh, then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. So uh, the mom here, Moses' mom, uh, she, is, uh, she you know, gave birth to Moses, and she was relatively brave in what she was doing you know, to give birth. It's very difficult to give birth, and the babies are crying oftentimes, but um, she was very tactful, and um, she gave birth to the child. And, and this, this part also give, is, is significant in, the, in, the, in relative to the rest of the, of the Torah because this is the last major birth in um in all of the torah uh, moses writes this you know from abraham you know throughout genesis all the way to here these they're all birth of major uh, figures in the old testament and joshua is the last one in the entire book of in the entire torah uh, and this baby was it says it's beautiful which i thought is hilarious when you're reading it because this is moses talking about himself i don't know how he thought or why he, why he thinks that but it must be um you know he he, got, he probably got it from his sister because sister was a little bit old enough uh she's like about, probably around like a teenager when moses was born uh we will see this in later on but it's hilarious to think that moses saw himself as beautiful um i don't again i'm assuming the best of moses i'm assuming that his sister told him that yeah you were a pretty cute baby and that uh, he wasn't like a really ugly baby and he's just writing this just to justify it um, or overcompensating or anything like that. Uh, verse 3, the, uh, she can no longer hide the baby, and if you are a parent, you understand this, babies. Um, they leave a trail of destruction wherever they go. Uh, there's always going to be a mess. There's always going to be a smell. Uh, it doesn't take long uh, for people to realize that, hey, this baby is, there's a baby in there. Um, try as you may, uh, there's no way for you to, for people to not know that there's a baby. So what she does is puts him in this basket, and in some translation, uh, and even commentaries prefer the word ark. Uh, and again, if it, and I think the ark and it's supposed to really go go bring a person back to you know the, the time of the ark. It's, it's this image and playing on words so that people can remember uh, the things that happened before, before. Just like salvation was in this ark, the salvation of Israel is going to come in this baby, in or inside this ark, which is Moses, and yeah, this baby. 
or for his sister, so this is Miriam, set at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and brought it to her. And she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, uh, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Um, so by God's providence and sovereignty, he placed this uh, Pharaoh's daughter. She just happened to decide, oh, I'm going to go take a bath now. And just so happened to stand in a place where she can hear the baby crying or see the, 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 um, the basket or the ark and, and then and gets one of the servants to get her, get the, get, get, get the servants to get the baby. And she has pity on him. You know, it, it could be any daughter that could be, that have any type of, you know, you know, like could be anywhere or a daughter that maybe maybe not show any compassion, but God chose to have this particular daughter that has compassion on this Hebrew baby and keeps him. And there's a reason. And, and you know, if you're, I mean, I imagine if you're a king, if your daughter tells you, "Hey, can I keep this baby?" You probably will let you know let them keep it. And I, you know, as a dad, I understand too. Sometimes I, I mean, my daughter will sometimes bring rocks home, and she wants to keep the rock. I say, okay, that's not that bad. But sometimes when she brings things that look like rocks. That's when I'm a little bit more hesitant. Um, but yeah, like this is what's going on. By God's grace, this daughter in particular is one who got uh, Moses. Then she said, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman that she may nurse a child for you? And this is Moses' sister and you know, watching him. She's like, probably, again, like she's probably like a teenager. Uh, she's obviously not working because she wouldn't be spending time following uh, the baby like this, but she's old enough to understand what's going on, but not old enough to work. So she's using her time, uh, you know, just to see what's going, what happens. And she explains, she asks, hey, do you think we should get one of the Hebrew women to take care of this? And Pharaoh's daughter says to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. You know, this is like perfect, perfect situation. The, the, the mom, and I would imagine Moses' mom probably had to I mean, it was probably a very difficult task to put a baby in a basket and not know what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, alligators are in the Nile. You know, things could have just tipped it over and anything could have happened. But the baby was spared. And not only that, but the mom of the child, Moses' mom, is able to go and take care of Moses. Uh, then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So now, not only that, but the mom has legal protection and security and a salary um, to take care of Moses. And and I do believe that during this time, uh, Moses was taught the ways of, of, of Yahwehism or, or you know, Judaism, you know, the ways of the things in the past, because uh, he's going to be someone that knows both worlds. He knows what the Jewish people are. He knows who they are. He knows who they worship. He knows the Egyptians' uh, gods and who they worship as well. He can. He knows what they believe in. God has uniquely gave him this situation in his life so that he can be the the right um, mediator between God and Pharaoh. Um, and we'll see this as we continue going on this book. Verse ten: The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him. Moses and said because I drew him out of the water that's what Moses mean Moses means out of the water and um, again this is part of God's divine plan for him to understand the Egyptian culture um, and 
and again, you might think that might be heartbreaking that like, oh man, he had to give his son to Pharaoh's daughter. But look, if you know that your child is gets to live, but he may not be with you, that's way better than the fact that you're like, oh, I'd rather not have him at all. Because uh, I'm sure the mom is able to you know, visit, see him, or at least see the, his progress. And Moses is in the Pharaoh's home. Um, he's he's going to be protected, uh, and he's going to have, a lot of ways, um, influence as well as uh, knowledge, so that later on, when we we are familiar with the story of Exodus, he he gets to stand before Pharaoh, and you know Pharaoh doesn't just let anyone be in his court to talk to him, but it's because of his lineage and his this adoption here, he was able to to do th- great things for the Lord. Verse eleven. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, he went out to his brethren and looked on their hand. It looked at hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew on uh, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. He saw there was no one around. He struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to one of, he said to the offender, "Why are you striking your companion?" But he said, "Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian?" That Moses was afraid, and he said, "Surely the matter has become known." So, this is about thirty-six years after uh, verse ten, and uh, this is just one particular day that he sees a Hebrew person getting beat, and he 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 rescues him. He has some sort of compassion for those that are afflicted. Again, this is going to be used by God later on because He's going to care for uh, not just in the Exodus, but in 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 you know, Numbers and Deuteronomy as well. He cares for His people. He has compassion of those that are. Um, that are lowly and weak uh, because they, that's what the Israelites are. They're just a bunch of uh, wanderers and foreigners and sojourners. But um, you know, God had to raise him in a particular way. And he sees the situation, this bickering between this Egyptian and, and this Hebrew person. He kills the, the Egyptian. He thinks that he could get away with it, but then he gets, cu- he gets found. Excuse me, he gets found out. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. He sat down by the well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the, uh, fill the troughs to water their water father's flock. Then a shepherd came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Um, and they came to Ruel. Um, that's, this is Jethro uh, later on, uh, you know, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, he, you, you might be familiar with the term Jethro principle. That's, that's this guy. This is, well, this is like his, I guess, pagan name. Their father, he said, why have you come back so soon? So he said, and the Egyptian delivered us from the land of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. So they looked at Moses and somehow they were able to discern that he's Egyptian. It's probably... If you look at Egyptian art, like the the lifestyle, like they're usually more clean shaven than uh, maybe wear eye, wearing you know, eyeshadow or some of the garments that make them look Egyptian. And we understand that. If you go to a foreign country, people sometimes just looking at your appearance will know you're not from there. Um, and that's just the way it is here. They, they look at Moses and they explain what they did for them, that Moses stood up against these shepherds. Again, Moses has these compassion for those that are needy, and he does just that. He, he helps them and he waters flock. My father, in verse 20, said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. 
And it's just one of those things that's like, oh, wow, they rescued you, they they, they, they protected you, you were able to feed your flock, all of that. Well, just, wouldn't the nice thing to do be to just invite him for dinner? And Moses did just that. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zephora to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son and named him Gershom, and he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name Gershom means like foreigner or alien. Uh, and again, Hebrew names are significant because it's not just what they aspire to be, but what they are. And this is what's going on. He's saying he named a son uh, an alien or sojourner as a way to just say that this is where he's from, that Moses uh, is, not, is never really home in the context of Egypt. He's not really home in the context of, of Midian, and um, he's just never home. And in fact, later on, he'll spend, he'll spend actually most of his life away from home. And not, in a lot of ways, he doesn't have a home himself. He's just sojourning from one place to another. And the only place that would be his home would be the promised land, and he wasn't able to go there. Verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. But they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. So these people cried, and uh, these Jews, the, you know, after Pharaoh died, they thought that things were going to be a relief, but life was still hard for the Jews. And this is all set up for God to act and part of his sovereign plan and using Moses to deliver his people. That they actually, that these, these Hebrews don't realize that, that, that among one of them was going to come a deliverer in the form of Moses, and he's going to come, and God's going to use Moses intentionally to show the Egyptians and the Israelites that he is the one true God, and he's the only powerful God, and they need to submit their hearts to him and to him alone. So what are we supposed to do with this? Well, in this coming week, we're going to look at how God's designed for our life, and depending on how we, and we need to look at every aspect of that so that we can glorify him in every way of our life. So we're going to look at first God's uh, control of our birth. Uh, we're going to see that tomorrow. And then as well, we're going to look at God uses our decisions. So those two points we're going to look at, uh, not tomorrow, on Wednesday. God controls our birth and God uses our decisions. And then on Friday, we'll close off the week by saying how God, sha- uh, God um, shapes our destiny. Uh, God. So the three-point outline this week is God controls our birth, God uses our decision, and God um, shapes our destiny. I look forward to going through this chapter with you. Uh, Take care and have a good week. Thank you.